which looked at the way society transmits the ideology of speciesism and socialises its children into the norms and values of using other animals. This time, the AR Zone team will discuss vegan education in relation to children, the difficulties we may face when trying to gain access into schools and problems that might arise once we do. And just to share with everyone, we had seen a clip sent by Jordan Wyatt of a character named Iron Brian that was being introduced in the New Zealand schools. Iron Brian is a character that's a living cartoon character, a big tall uh, person dressed up in a, a cartoon costume coming to the schools in a highly decorated van with lots of literature and food handouts and a wild song with music and lots of bells and whistles. So we were looking at how we as animal advocates can counteract the kind of speciesism and the kind of promotional materials that the animal abusers have on their side. Didn't they actually have a barbecue as part of the vans that they went around bar barbecuing? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I remember part of the, the little song that he sings, and the kids were just screaming with delight as they're walking around and handing things yeah, to him. Yeah, like he was like a celebrity, wasn't he? Right. And he, he said that he brushes his teeth with a file, and after he eats his beef and lamb, he runs a three-minute mile. So there's a lot of hype about the power and the joy of abusing animals. It was pretty horrific. And boy, were those kids buying into it, too. It's an interesting combination of machinery and humanity and superhero in that character. A kind of fantasy figure in a way, isn't it? So Yeah, but uh, it's frightening because that's kind of what we're doing with the animals. It's like factory farming, kind of a machine, machinery and animals, the living being and the machinery combined. And it just reminded me that the same parallel with Iron Brian, and they're showing this man who's part machine, has a computer for a brain, no feeling involved. It just reminds me of the same kind of thing. What we try to do in, with animals is depersonalize them into, you know, widgets and, on the assembly line, or the disassembly line. But one of the things that we talked about in Barbara's session was, well, you know, how do we talk to children about veganism, stroke, animal rights? My experience is I've looked at what Rob Jackson said. And I've looked at what Paul Vogel said. Is that talking to little kids about veganism is difficult because there's also there's a kind of limit to what you feel justified telling children, even right. though they are consumers of abuse and suffering and everything actually tell, telling them that can be quite a shocking thing you know how do we extend vegan outreach to, to children and by implication the idea that you know one of the best things for anyone who wants to promote veganism to do would be to engage children when they're 
when they're young, which is what Paul Vogel did say. But what he was getting at, of course, is the fact that you've got, you know, minds that are still kind of flexible and, you know, able to take on new ideas. And at the same time, the people that that might take on board our message are the ones that we might feel dubious about talking to. I think it's I think it's how that message is conveyed, to be honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the problem is that means that we've got to water it down to the extent that it might not exist anymore. That's 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 the that's that was what I was trying to get at in terms yes, of the podcast. Yeah. Mm. Because what Rob Jackson said is, well, well, don't mention veganism particularly and don't mention animal rights particularly. You just talk about other things. And what we did in the animal uh, trust is we we talked about, you know, caring for animals and. Uh, you know, categories of animals and this kind of stuff. And so you you tend to kind of start, you know, kind of whitewashing what you want to say. When we spoke to Animal Aid about this, and of course in Britain, they, they're the kind of leaders in ter- terms of school talks, but they were, they, they were saying that they have great difficulty getting in in the first place. And when they do, they can't say much, or at least they don't feel as though they should say much because they're frightened of the kids going back to home as it were I mean, this this is a weird situation right they're kind of frightened of kids going back home saying right i'm a vegetarian now and they that's kind a, of want that, to that. Kind of avoid that because of the kind of family kind of problems and the feedback they would get from the school and everything and the knock-on effect about future you know kind of entry and access into schools you see so there's, there's a conundrum isn't there in this what can you say to people who who should who should know the truth, and yet we don't tell them the truth on purpose for lots of different you know sociological reasons, like pr- protecting them from knowledge, for example. Well, how do you even get into the schools and tell the truth without getting kicked out when the macro culture, just like the I am Brian thing, when Jordan was talking about wanting to get into the schools and counteract that, he was said he wanted to talk to the parents first because he lives in a rural area that's highly dependent on animal abuse so he, he kind of feared he's had threats made against him and his chickens yeah and, yeah because i i, I kind of questioned that didn't i but i i, right. I mean i obviously I, I realized what you were saying because of the small kind of scale of the community i suppose but i mean he was kind of frightened but, wasn't he because the, yeah he was frightened in a di- different way in the same way but you know in the same way animal aid were frightened they were saying that what we don't want to what we don't want to happen is for the, to be all kind of family strife after one of our talks. But in some senses, you know, um, Ronnie, you you know Mimi Spence, right? I mean, yeah. when she when she was four, she learned all about you know animal use and everything, and she she effectively, as a four year old, converted her entire family into vegetarianism, and then yeah. they went vegan. Uh, one of my wife's nephews, he's he's really into animals and caring for animals, and he comes around to see us quite a lot, and he's ten years old. And he comes around here and he sees all the animals and he, he knows he knows that we're vegan. And we've never ever said to him, you should be vegan. Never said that to him. We've explained why we are. I took him home the other day and the first thing he said when he walked through the door to his mum was, Mum, I want to be vegetarian. You know, I'm sure she thought, oh, bloody hell, they've been indoctrinated <laughs> into, you know, into their way of thinking. But we hadn't. It was It was just something, a conclusion that he'd come to himself just because he'd been surrounded by those things. We do want to talk to children. Yes. And at the same time, we've got this dilemma about, well, what, what the hell do we say, right? And what do we say? And for what reason would we maybe not say certain things? 
who are we protecting? The family, parents, or are we take, we're protecting animals? You know, in the end. I mean, we were asked to give a, a talk to four and five year olds, and we think, what can we say to them? You know, can't you just get them aware of animals as separate beings and increase respect for animals and let them expand what animal beings are to not just dogs and cats. Yeah, yeah, of course, of yeah, that, that, that's right. That's exactly what you do. And so you think, well, you know, that, that that's what we'll do. I and mean, so that would be the first stage. The first stage would be to get them to, to be aware of other animals that have to have feelings, that they have families. Because would the kids really see an unnatural setting for animals? They're almost all captured and enslaved when they see them. So they don't know... You know, they don't see anything else. They don't know anything else. They don't think about it. Well, at the same time, they, they are pretty... I mean, most of them have watched all these kind of wildlife documentaries, so-called, don't they? So maybe it's just the fact that they, you know, culturally trained to kind of separate out, domesticate from free-living beings. Children of that age are very very keen to please the adults around them as well. Yeah. Hmm. Because children go home to their home environment, they're very much at the mercy of what their parents are doing. You know, even if a, a child wants to, to go vegan, they're probably not going to be allowed to until they get to an age where they can kind of assert their own assert, assert their own feelings. You know, perhaps when they're a young teenager, say, right, I'm just not going to eat meat and that's it. And there's nothing that the parents can do. I remember my own case that yeah. I was, um, because I was brought up as a Catholic and um, went to a Catholic school and had to go to, to go to church with my parents. I hated doing all that from really quite an early age, but it was only when I got to about 13 or 14, I was old enough then to say, right, I'm not going to go to church anymore and there's nothing you can do about it. And and they couldn't do anything about it and I didn't go. And, and I think it, it's probably a bit more difficult with veganism because it will be, you know, the, the, you know the, the mother or maybe even the father as well doing the cooking and providing the food. It's just a question really, I think, of sowing the seed with younger children. So that's there. And, and so when the time comes when they can assert what they want to do, that they'll do that. The trouble yeah. is sometimes they want to and they're powerless to, to make changes. Yeah. Mm. We're dealing with a complex mm. social situation here. It reminded me of um, an appendix from my PhD. In 1999, I kind of put out a call on the internet asking people to recount some uh, you know, encounters, interaction with with people about non-human animals, about how they react to so-called food, food animals and everything, and I, I got, I got this back. Listen to this. This is, um, this is from the third of August, nineteen ninety-nine, and he said, "Dear Roger, further to yesterday's email, you might like to read the following, which is very indicative of mainstream attitude to food animals in inverted commas, i.e., they are not animals." A few months back, I was with colleagues from London Animal Action. We had set up a stall in Angel Islington, um, con you know, consult the Monopoly board for that, mm. uh, complete with posters and leaflets. Whenever people stopped to sign our petition, we invited them to help themselves to as many leaflets as they wanted. About the time when the school knocked off, we had a number of schoolgirls about 13 or to 15 years old signing. One group of about four started talking to us. Yes, they loved animals, and yes, it was cruel to put them in laboratories, circuses, etc. They took a few leaflets, then one noticed the leaflet entitled Eating Animals. Oh, look, some people eat animals. How gross, she said. You're vegetarian or vegan, are you? I asked. No, I'm not vegetarian, the one replied. Then you eat animals too. 
Of course I don't, but I'm not vegetarian, she said. But if you're not vegetarian, that means you eat animals. Vegetarianism means not eating animals, I persisted. No, I wouldn't eat animals. That's disgusting. Well, then you must be a vegetarian. No, I'm not. I eat meat, but I don't eat animals. Oh, gosh. By this time, my two friends were listening to this quite astounded. Well, let's put it this way, I said. Do you eat hamburgers and things? Yes, of course I do. We all do. But they're not made out of animals. What do you think that lump of mincemeat in the middle of the bun is? Lamb or cow or something, I guess, is the reply. Right, I said. And what are animals and cows? They're animals. No, they're not, the girls chorused. They're not proper animals. Animals are cats and dogs and things like that. No, I said, animals are cows and lambs and pigs as well. Oh, no, the first one said. You can't count them as animals. They're just things that taste good. The email ends with, that's what we're up against, Roger. I thought, geez, you know, this has got to go go in the VHD because it's just, I mean, that, is that not just an incredible encounter in terms of, of that? And, and what, I, what I followed up with, actually, was something from, I'm not quite sure, Ronnie could correct me on this. It, it, there's a journalist called Julie Birchler, I think it is. Oh, yes, um, yeah. Because I said in the PhD, well, you know, if you think that's odd, listen to this. And so this um, virtual character said that, well, I'm all in favour of animals. But when I say animals, I'm talking about cats and dogs. I, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about farm animals. Yeah. You know, they're not real animals. There is this kind of weird construction that goes on. So I was um, looking at an Animals Australia thread yesterday. I was talking to Tim about it. And he said the same thing. Like, what do you do with people like that? It, people were saying the same thing. It was a, it was a story about animal agriculture I think, oh, I can't even remember what it was about now, but people were commenting and saying things like that they, they, they own their own cow and the cow that they own gives them, like willingly gives them milk. You know, there's no cruelty involved. And, you know, when the time comes that Daisy has to be put to sleep, then we'll send Daisy to the slaughterhouse and buy ourselves a new cow. And it's like, you know, but we don't like cruelty. And I eat meat, but it's not cruel. Like the meat I eat is okay. It's like they, they've just got blinders on and, and no comprehension of how, how silly it sounds or how wrong it is. It's like, you know, they don't they don't count. They're not like, they're not rural animals. They're just... Uh, it's mm. almost more unsettling to me that people talk about how they love their animals, their farm animals, and they name them and then they kill them like they do with, I, I hate the mm. 4-H program in the States where they raise the animals and name the animals and take care of them. And then on fair day, they sell the animals and sometimes mm. the animals killed on the site and slaughtered. And I just think, what is what are we teaching children with that kind of a program? My friend that has the local farm animal sanctuary has two Future Farmers of America FFA pigs that were raised that way. And when the child, when it came time to sell them at the fair, the child wouldn't do it. So the parents took them to the sanctuary. But it's a huge, I mean, they're, they're usually huge animals. They're bred to be huge. And they're expensive for her. And a lot of times the people don't leave much money for their care. So it just seems like a horrible way of teaching the child to detach from their natural care and concern for other living beings. But, you, I mean, you will get the animal abusers trying all sorts of ways yeah. of making animal abuse um, acceptable. And there's kind of not a lot we can do about that. We can just try to present the alternative, can't we, and try to come up with the best ways of doing that. Most young children have experience of some animals. They're prob probably dogs and cats and animals like that. 
they have feelings for and that they they probably love very much. I think it's a question of trying to get them to see that other creatures are fundamentally just the same as as those creatures that they love. A pig or a cow or a chicken is is just as lovely a creature as a, a, a dog or a cat and needs to be treated with just as much respect. In terms of what Ronnie just said about the fact that children will make a distinction between the animals that they know and, and others, the one thing that's interesting for me in, in that is that you, you get stories. There's a book from 1994 called Stories from Mud Puddle Farm. These are written for children who are just starting to read. And essentially what these stories do is present a kind of free-range farm to children but on a kind of ideological level they suggest that the farm animals as they're characterized as and the farmers themselves are in a kind of symbiotic relationship the farmer says to the animals you look after me and i look after you and carolyn said that this notion of they give their milk you know the cows give their milk in this particular book, they talked about the cows letting their milk down for the farmer, <laughs> that they kind of like gave their milk kind of voluntarily. Oh, you know, brother. They could have kept it up, but they let it down, you know, so they let yeah. their milk down for him, right? They're cooperating uh, in the yeah. process, huh? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind of like a theory of social kind of contract theory here, where mm. you've got this idea that everyone is in this kind of situation where we all kind of, you know, give a little bit of ourselves and we get something back from the community. And yeah. that includes non-human animals in these kind of scenarios. In terms of the kind of ideological impact of that, that's very kind of deep, I think. I think children in particular will take the message that non-human animals, in a sense, have signed up for what they're doing with and for us. I think they can probably internalize that kind of message, you know. And I think that comes out in views about, well, you know, if, if it wasn't for the fact that we ate them, they wouldn't exist. You know, I think it kind of comes out in those kind of things. They think that, well, they've almost like kind of agreed to be born, as it were, in order mm. to provide this for us. And mm. the payoff for that is the fact that, they, well, if they didn't do that, they, they wouldn't have been born in the first place. It's easier to argue, present a counter-argument to that with older children, because you'd make the comparison of, well, would it be right to um, produce children and let those children live to, say, age eight, give them a, a lovely life and then slaughter them? And, well, of course not. And then get to the children to make the comparison between that and animals. I think with older children, it'd be possible to counter that. But with very young children that might not be able to quite understand that argument, I'm not really sure you could do that. I think all the time, as I said before, you're going to get animal abusers trying all sorts of ways to make the abuse of animals appear acceptable. You know, that is going to happen. And, and we're, we're not at this stage going to be able to stop them from doing that. We've just got to present an alternative to present a kind of more humane um, viewpoint and to get children thinking along those lines. And I think it's probably more important to think about how we how we actually do that. I mean, first of all, how, how do we get to be able to 
talk to the children in the first place. How do we get into schools? How how do we present what we're doing in a way that's going to make it easier to actually get to the children in the first place? And then once we've done that, what do we actually say? But it's the getting in there that uh, because I think mm. there's a major gatekeeping problem. I mean, the in terms of where you are, uh, Ronnie, in Britain, the two groups that do most of the school education even have departments for it would be Animal Aid and Viva, wouldn't they? Yes. yes. So they'd be the ones who yeah. normally get into... Yeah. But again, if you talk to them, they will be having these same dilemmas because they have, first of all, A, the access problem, as you just suggested. And secondly, again, as you just said, what do you say once you get in? There's a guy in our, in our vegan group that does a lot of school talks and he uh he, he he does the he does the animal aid talks and and he talks to a wide range of of age groups of, of children and it all seems to he always reports back you know that it's that it's kind of gone very well but of course those are only the schools that have actually allowed him to go there but there's probably a lot that that maybe and, and you know what he says to each age group Ronnie? well i don't exactly know i know that he kind of take I, I i know he definitely tailors what what he says to you know to different age groups and i think you know, I think he's been on one of the animal aid run courses in, you know, for school speakers, where I think they cover this, where I think they cover what, you know, what is said to the different age groups. It involves showing, it involves showing one or more of their videos as well. I'm not sure whether they've got different videos for different age groups. Maybe they have, but I don't know too much about the, because it's not an area that I've really been involved in. I don't know too much about the content, but, but I was just thinking in terms of how to get, kind of get into to schools and I, I was i was thinking whether a kind of trojan horse type um tactic could be used in, in the sense that you kind of present it as if you're as, 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 especially with the more uh, the younger children that you're going to kind of talk about the care of animals looking after animals you know so they think you know this is someone that's going to come and talk about dogs and cats how, you know how you should care for your your dog and your cat and your, and your rabbit you know that kind of thing which they would think, well, this is a good thing. This person's coming along to talk about that, and that's something that the you know would be good for the children to know. And indeed, it would be it would be for good for the children to know. We all want them to know how to to care properly for animals, and not not to keep a rabbit shut in a hutch for all for all his or her life. But then once you're in and and you start talking, you could kind of then put other ideas into the children's heads, you know, like gently and gradually. But other ideas start talking about other animals. Say, well, what what other animals do you know apart from, you know, dogs and cats and rabbits? Gradually talk about how those animals are used, and is is that right? And mention that well, you know, there are some people that that are vegetarians that that don't eat animals, and there are some people that are vegans that don't eat animal products because they think it's wrong that uh, these things should be done to animals. And kind of approach it that way. You're going in in a kind of very very non controversial way because the most important thing is to get in there if you don't get in there in the first place you've got the issue of getting in and in some senses you've got the issue of getting into more and more places Mm. Uh, for example um, the Irish Animal Education Trust the most success that they had really was with a a group of school called um, uh, what's it called Um, Educate Together it's called they were very progressive in the sense that they were teaching very small kids you know um, six, seven, eight, about uh, human rights, feminism, even, and that kind of stuff. And so, consequently, they were they were quite keen on having a kind of progressive message. But ag- again, what we tended to do there, we we had a, an icebreaker which we call the categories game, 
what we would do is we would just get the children initially to talk about, you know, to try and guess a type of animal that we were thinking of. Give us the name of an animal who begins with the letter C and they would, you know, call out things like cat and everything, everything else. So eventually we would get a group of children at the front of the class holding up a picture of, of the animal in question. And then we would say, OK, well, you know, what category do those fit in? For example, you know, which, which of these animals are pets and which of these animals do we eat and which of the, uh, these animals do we use for clothing and that kind of stuff, right? And then we would get the children to actually categorize them because they would, they would know on some fundamental level. But then we would start saying, well, yeah, but, you know, can't, can't we put the, the, you know, the cat into the food category or can't we put the dog into the food category? And they would go, no, you know, and then we would say, well, well, in, in, you know, in some places people do eat cats and dogs, you know, in some places, then we would be able to put them into that category and not this. And so effectively what we would do is, is like start moving these children around physically in the classroom to give them a kind of representation of the fact that different people and different cultures would use animals in different ways. I, I think that's important because I think, one, you know, the, the main reason why I didn't become vegan before I did was because I simply didn't know about how, how animals were abused for the production of eggs and dairy products. I, I just wasn't aware of it. I just, there wasn't a problem with it. I, in, in fact, I didn't even think about it at all. But I think if, if somebody had come along to our school and given a talk and, and had explained about what happened, I'd have, I'd probably become vegan a lot earlier than, than I did. Okay, at that stage in their life, you, you're not gonna actually be able to change the dietary habits of those children or the diet, you know, what those children eat because it's so much controlled by their parents. But at least it's putting something into their head that, that that's there when they, they get to an age where they, they can make their own decisions about what they're going to do. I think that's the important thing. I think this. And you're giving them the knowledge that those options are available at some point in the future if, you know, if, if that's what they want to do. Like you said, yeah. you didn't become vegan earlier and I'm in exactly the same place too I didn't become vegan earlier because I didn't know I didn't know there was such a thing as a vegan and I didn't know that that using other animals for milk and dairy and things like that I, I didn't know that how bad that was so I think by educating these children when they're younger even like you say they, they don't they're not in a position where they can change their lives until much later but at least they know that the, the options there I think there are a lot of vegetarians that aren't vegan because they don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, one question for everyone, really, is say, say, for example, we got over Ronnie's first hurdle, which is access. Then we have to decide what to say to the kids and also, in a sense, what to show to the kids. What do you think we should be prepared to show young children? I mean, should we show them scenes from slaughterhouses? Should we? No. What age? No. I mean, I don't well, think so. Not no. for young children. I don't think that older children teenagers and but the question is for what reason would we protect them from that knowledge to use kind of john robbins kind of phrase for one thing very young children have a very thin veil between reality and fantasy and they would probably be deeply troubled by something they have no control over they can't it's not like i don't even think those are necessarily the best way to advocate for veganism by showing those films i mean they're, they need to be out there for people to know the reality but for children i mean i think the shift that needs to happen is in their attitude towards 
other animals. And it isn't about how horrifically they're used. It's that they're used at all. I agree. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that if you're trying to get into as many schools and, and, and other places where children are uh, as possible, if you start doing that, then you'll very quickly get barred from, from going to places. <laughs> yeah. Well, that well that is the worry. But go, going back to what you said, uh, Barbara, if you remember, you know, when I, when I was on your latest podcast, we, we talked about the kind of coloring books that, that were given out to school children. Yes. And I was talking about the, you know, it's a kind of cartoon scenario where they where they showed the, the life of a non-human animal who became meat in the end. And the bit that was missing was a slaughter bit. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't you think that there's a case for showing that bit that the other side would deliberately miss out? I don't think you'd be allowed to in this culture. You'd never be. I mean, there's so many people that are invested in um, our societies are mostly built on the use of animals. So there's no way that's going to be um, something you can sell in the schools. I don't think, at least not where I live, and, and ever get invited back or not get yourself into very hot water. I would think that just raising going down the the only way I know I could get in the schools here possibly would be humane education and trying to open that and just push the edges as best I could within that parameter. Yeah, but just to clarify though, Bob, I mean, are are you saying you could talk to them about it but not show them it, do you think? Is is that what you're saying? Well, depend on the age of the kids you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, obviously we've we've got that issue all the time because we've got the thing about, you know, obviously, you know, four, five, six, seven-year-olds other one level and when when you get up to kind of tens and elevens and then when you get into what Ronnie was saying like teenagers then we're in a different kind of ball game right right yeah yeah but, you know even, even with you know with small children you know are, are we saying that we should connive with the with the idea of protecting them from the harm that they themselves are causing that book that Ruby Roth wrote, um, she was she's an art teacher, I believe, and she was getting a lot of questions from the kids when she was teaching about why, because she ate differently than them, why she doesn't eat animals. So she wrote the book, That's Why We Don't Eat Animals. And it's it's got some a little bit of fantasy in the way the animals are drawn. They're drawn not realistically, but they're not drawn like cartoon characters either, somewhere in between. It doesn't go into slaughter, but you certainly get the use because she talks a lot about factory in factory farms, the animals can't spread their wings or they don't live in families and pigs in, in the natural world live in families and they're very sociable. So she, she goes through one animal after another and talks about their characteristics and their there, she personalizes them and, and shows you how they would like to live and then shows you what is missing and what happens when we raise them for food. And it, it's kind of dark. Some people think it's too dark. Some people think it's not dark enough. But it is a fine line, depending on the age that, of the child that that book is for. Um, for me, it was a very helpful way in. My grandson has the book, and he would ask me to read it to him. I never read it to him as indoctrination. But it captured his imagination and opened up a lot of room for further dialogue. The fine line point that you made is quite interesting for me because one of the talks that I did in Ireland, um, we ended our kind of slideshow, PowerPoint, if you like, showing a kind of before and after. And so we we showed a picture of a a live stag, for example, and and then a stag after she was hunted and this kind of stuff, so a dead stag. And then we, we also had as the final kind of thing to that, we had a picture of a field of cows and then a picture of a hamburger. One child in the class kind of put uh, his hand up and um, 
he said, what, 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 what's the connection? He, he didn't understand the connection. And when he was told, he looked visibly shocked. Yeah. yeah. We were kind of like feeling bad, right, about telling him the truth, in a sense. And, th- and then we got a phone call from the teacher saying, oh, um, you know, Jimmy's okay kind of thing. In fact, he, he, you know, he, he, uh, he had a ham sandwich oh um, f- for dinner kind of thing. And so we, we were left in a kind of really kind of we weren't quite sure what to make of it all because, like, at first we were feeling sorry for the, for the guy and then we were thinking, <laughs> you know, wow, you know, uh, he's been convinced by his teachers to kind of tuck into the, to, to, you know, to the dead pig kind of thing. And the interesting thing from the teacher's point of view is they were ringing us to reassure us that don't worry, the guy is, is eating meat again. The reality has been pushed back again. The disconnection is still in force. That's right. And so, you know, doesn't that just kind of highlight how kind of it's like a minefield, this, isn't it? it it's I think it's very, very touchy. And even more so in an area like when we were talking to Jordan, who lives in uh, Jordan Wyatt, who lives in New Zealand. Uh, he has a sensitivity because so many of the families around him are in the field of animal agriculture. And so to speak to children there, to try to, you know, give a, a message of concern for animals and animals as persons and as feeling living beings and as fellow earthlings is almost dangerous because it, the, there is, can be such a visceral reaction to keeping the status quo. They don't want so that, the truth told. No, I was, I was just going to say, I don't think you can kind of get away from saying to the children in, in one way or another that those animals are killed. You can do that without presenting kind of gory images of slaughterhouses and and you, you can do it without, I think, presenting too much detail of how they're killed and what they go through when they're killed. But you can't really get away from saying somewhere in some way or another that a cow or a bull is, is killed to produce a burger uh, or a pig's killed to, to produce bacon. You can't. The only way one leads to another is through is through the animal being killed. So you, so you can't kind of you can't get away from that. I don't think with with it, with any age of of children. But I don't think you need to go into to too much detail. As most children care about animals like dogs and cats. I mean, if they don't even care about dogs and cats when they're you know five six years old, then there's little hope for them caring about anything else. I don't think. But I think most you know most young children do you know do have affection for animals like that. And I think it's getting them to see that other creatures are really just the same as the dogs and cats that they feel affection for. I agree with Ronnie. I think if you, you give them as much information as you can, and you do push as hard as you can to a certain degree, but by showing them even photos of slaughterhouse images and things like that, you, I think I think it's irresponsible, to be honest. I think you, you're risking traumatising them and leaving their parents or their teachers to deal with that, and they're not equipped to deal with that. That's... But it's, it's it's tactics, really, isn't it? It's it's a tactical, yeah. it's a tactical uh, thing. How can we get into the maximum number of places to be able to present our message? And how can we how can we present our message in a way that's kind of not going to get us barred from other places? Because if children do get too upset by things, that's that's what's what it's going to result in. And although it's absolutely true that, of course, you know, the animals are going to suffer far, far, far more than the children are ever going to suffer by yeah, getting the information, yeah. you know, we have to think of the bigger picture. You know, we've, we've got to do it in a way that's kind of it, it, it enables us to do it in a, as widespread a way as possible. Sociologically, we're talking about socialization here and we're talking about, you know, the entire kind of weight of the socialization is against the animals here. 
Yes. We, we are we are the only kind of voice. Yes. And so, you know, once you do get in there, it's kind of like, you know, this is our chance, right, to, as you say, plant those seeds. That's right. And yeah. so, you know, if you, you know, mess it up and don't do it right and you don't plant the seeds very well, then, you, you know, you're, you're, caught, you're in a sense causing harm. And so it, it is a quite a burden, really. It's quite a responsibility because, you know, once you do kind of wingle your way into a school setting. The problem is, though, that those in control of what the children hear have already been socialized into speciesism. So that's where we're limited. Even though, even though we may have the truth, even adults try to hide the truth from themselves. Most yes. adults the, do not want to think about the reality of what's going on with animals, how they're killed, or how they get to their plate. They do not want to hear. They've had a lifetime of denying the reality. And so if we come in and try to share the reality, I, I, I think even a lot of the teachers would be resistant to hearing it. They would be resistant more to certain ways of that message being, across, put, being put across than they would to other ways. And it's a question of doing it in a way where the message would get through to the children, but which would cause the minimum of resistance from the the teachers. Right. Some teachers do dear to this idea of of one of the best things we can do for children and students in general throughout the age, kind of ages when they're uh, you know in schooling, if you like, is to create a situation where they can be used to the idea of thinking critically. You can get teachers who are interested in in doing that, and so that does mean that you do you do raise challenging issues, and so this this one obviously for them would be quite a challenging one, but, you know, accepting the fact that they would be concerned about the way it was put over, they would still probably be quite interested, at least some um, teachers would be quite interested in presenting this as a situation for the children to think about and to think about, you know, what they know uncritically, you know, in a, in a more kind of critical way than they've ever done before. And so from that point of view, our kind of presence is quite attractive for some teachers. I don't think they will be completely fearful. So there's a, there's a balance, I think. I'm quite sure that, that sometimes, and possibly fairly frequently, animal aid speakers actually get invited by teachers. In other words, it's the teachers that approach. So yeah, that, that's the, usually the way, actually. Rather than the, the, yeah, right, yeah. the, the other way around. But how do you get into, into schools where teachers aren't like that where you haven't got those kind of more radically minded teachers how can you how can you present what you're doing in a way in which you can get into those other schools and and talk to children in those other schools it's very challenging i think i i see what roger's saying about the burden we carry if we do too little but we also don't want to be too direct and get booted because then the children don't get any message and all the other message 99.9999% 99.9999% of the time is the socialization that, you know, Roger, you've talked about how they're indoctrinated from early on, but we don't ever invite them into the full truth. We take out all the part that they wouldn't like or that would repel them and carefully excise that from the scenario and the narrative so that we're trying to make something that's really quite ugly and exploitive palatable. And that's what we feed the kids. And we're asking for a dose of the truth, which might be a bitter pill, but how to give that to them in a form they can accept when they've been fed all these lies their whole life. It's a big problem. Mm-hmm.